This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hello, I'm Grace Ho, Insight Editor for The Straits Times. You're listening to In Your Opinion, a podcast series by The Straits Times that takes a hard look at social and political issues of the day. How do you tell if an artwork of a banana, yes, you heard it correctly, a banana, is a copycat? Now, this may not seem like a big deal, but three years ago, Italian artist Maurizio Catalan sold a banana duct taped to a wall for a whopping US $120,000. But according to the American artist Joe Morford, it was copied from his own artwork, which comprises a banana and an orange attached with duct tape. So who's right or wrong? Here to help me make sense of the case so that we all don't go bananas is Ryan Sue, a lawyer at OC Queen Street, who also happens to be an art collector and enthusiast. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Grace, and thank you for having me. First off, Ryan, I understand that you have the singular distinction of actually having seen the banana at Art Basel, Miami. Can you describe to us what it was like that day and what were people's reactions to it? Oh, okay. So this was a couple of years ago at Art Basel, Miami, uh, one of the biggest art fairs in the world. And and I had the privilege to to attend this art fair on the VIP day, which is one or two days before the art fair is actually open to the public. So I remember the banana being displayed at the booth of this gallery called Gallery Perotan, a French gallery. And there were other artworks in the gallery, but the banana, I remember, was on the wall on the right side. And it was taped onto the wall. And it didn't really create a lot of buzz on, on those VIP days because VIPs were, were, were more excited about other things or more 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 outstanding or, or more outlandish artworks. Because the banana, if if you know, is a banana is quite a small thing. It's not that huge. Indeed. So it was just it, it, and and uh, and so the banana tape to a wall is comparatively small compared to some other artworks and comparatively not as colorful. So on the first day it didn't really get a lot of attention. I think there were some people who, or news outlets, who looked at it and wrote some kind of story, and that's how the momentum and the uh, about the banana started growing and how it became viral. So, so by the next day, I, I think people were were really excited about it, and people started to crowd around the banana. I saw it on the first day, and my thinking was that I wanted to have something like this for for Singapore and actually to bring back. The banana artwork and uh, banana and display it for for the public here and and I mean it would be a great conversation starter, especially if this conversation was to be about contemporary art and what is art and what is not art. So I thought this would be a perfect entry point. After this whole thing became viral, I was there, right? So so I I just went by the next day and then I asked them and they said all of them were sold. Uh, they were one hundred twenty thousand dollars. And there was a queue of people lining up to take pictures with the banana. How I knew it got viral was because at a dinner, I think the night before, there were people saying that there were security problems with the venue because there were people who came in and started sticking bananas everywhere in the convention center and security had to remove them. 
and <laughs> and <laughs> yes, and bananas were being sold out at actually the the grocery stores in Miami. And, and when I was walking around, the bananas sold out because people are actually buying the bananas and sticking them not only in the venue but also on the street. And bananas were were gone. So no way. Yeah. So it was quite like wow. What's happening? Well, what happened? But, but what happened to the banana? <laughs> what happened to the banana? But, but do you know what happened to banana? Because it's actually fresh, right? Yes, the banana yeah. is fresh. Uh, it's a real banana. So it's not a plastic banana. It's a real banana. So what happens? I believe uh, is that the artist allows the owner of the work or the eventual owner of the work to actually replace the banana every ten days because, of course, it will go bad. So, so there's this uh, possibility of replacing it. And in the sale and purchase of this type of conceptual artwork, what you do get is actually a certificate, or, which we treat as somewhat of a license for you to display the artwork. And there could also be instructions on how to maintain this artwork. And in the case of the banana, these instructions would probably be you can replace the banana every 10 days. And this is not new. There are other artworks that require replacement. So if we look at the artist Felix Gonzalez Torres, you, you may not know, you may or may not know, but this was an artist whose, whose I believe his partner was afflicted by AIDS and he would put a pile of sweets in the corner of rooms, which were the same weight as his partner was losing weight. And this pile of sweets, he allowed people to pick them and eat them. And of course, the weight of that pile of sweets would slowly be depleted as, as a person's life was, was also depleted. So and and this allowed collectors to to replace that pile of sweets and it's in the big museums all over the world. There are also works by this other artist called Dan Flavin, I believe from LA, and his works consist of fluorescent light bulbs in different colors arranged in different way, and of course the light bulbs blow as light bulbs do. So they allow the owner to replace them, but. With a lot of these works that were created some time ago, there may be problems finding replacement parts now. Like if the artworks were created with a certain kind of fluorescent bulb or neon bulb that no one makes anymore, or using the old type of TVs, you know, if the artwork comprises of that, we, we can't find those TVs anymore. So uh, replacing parts of an artwork can be permissible. In the case of the banana, it's not only permissible, but it's necessary. Indeed. Moving on to the facts of the case, um, Catalan's lawyers argued that fruits and duct tape can't be copyrighted and no evidence su exists suggesting that Catalan saw Morfitt's work. But still, we saw a US district judge earlier this year deny a motion to dismiss the case because the, the judge noted some similarities in the, the choice and placement of the objects. Um, what legal concept or argument was the judge using here? I think when we all have a copyright case before us, whether we are as lawyers in the case or whether we were a judge, we would look at first principles. And one of the first and foundational principles of copyright law is that copyright protects material expressions of an idea, but not the idea itself. So in the case of a banana being stuck to a wall with a piece of duct tape, some people may say it's just an idea, but other people may say it is a material expression of an idea. And indeed it is, because the banana is affixed to the wall with a piece of duct tape and it's a material object and you can see it. But the people on the other side who say it's just an idea is because perhaps they could say that it's so simple. It's just a simple idea. Anybody could do it. It doesn't require any effort. So, so it's an idea. And if it's only an idea, then it's not protectable by copyright. So I think on, the, on first principles, people would have to weigh this idea-expression dichotomy, where there's supposed to be a difference between an idea and an expression. One is protected by copyright, one is not. 
However, the fine and the thin gray line between both of these things is when is something an idea and when is it an expression of an idea. So when the judge looked at this, I believe I'm not an expert in American law, but I believe copyright principles are universal. And through different international treaties, such as the Berne Convention, which try to unify copyright law around the whole world, so this would be one of the first things that the judge would have looked at and to determine if, if this was something that was protectable or not. And I believe what the judge did was he actually dismissed Catalan's application to throw out the lawsuit. And in dismissing this, what the judge said that, what the judge would want to say rather is that uh, this requires further investigation and there could be, and it is possible that this is an expression of an idea which is protectable. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Let's continue the conversation with my guest. Right. But, well, as a layman, to me, you know, copying is copying. But legally speaking, are there different kinds of copying? How do you know whether or not this person's copying? Okay. So... This is the thing about whether somebody is copying or not. And I think in the case, the judge did use two words and talked about two kinds of copying. The first type of copying he talked about was legal copying. And the second type of copying was factual copying. So in factual copying, it is very simple where it is proven as a fact that somebody copied something. For example, if students are doing an exam or a test and they're copying each other and they are doing it and copying it, that is factual copying. So if perhaps Catalan had seen Morford's work perhaps on YouTube and had actually copied it, sat there and copied it, that would be factual copying. Uh, but sometimes factual copying is hard to prove, especially if you do it in the privacy of your own home and you view YouTube in your own home and you copy ideas from YouTube it's very hard for the other side to prove. So sometimes the other side would rely on something called legal copying. Legal copying may be somewhat of a, a fiction, but it helps ameliorate the problems with factual copying when factual copying can't be proved. Legal copying is that legally, something may be said to be copied, even though you cannot prove it, if such a thing is accessible or publicly available. So, the presumption is that if something is accessible or publicly available, you would have accessed it and therefore you would be deemed to have copied it. And I think this is the this is the sticking point in this case where where Morford's video had been uploaded on YouTube and apparently it was accessible to one and all and freely accessible. And that's the that's the case. That's Morford's case. Right. And speaking of Morford, so he says that images of his work have been publicly accessible online since 2008. So therefore, Catalan had the opportunity to see the work before he created his own in 2019. But I went to check on YouTube and Morford doesn't have a huge YouTube or even a Facebook following. So I went to the video that contains the artwork, which has a few hundred views. I had to play it a few times to figure out where it was because that image pops up for about one second. And surely I thought the mere act of putting things online doesn't automatically imply that someone had access to the art with the intention to copy it, right? I mean, there's got to be a higher threshold. Yeah, perhaps there should be a higher threshold. That's why at this preliminary stage, the trial judge in the US actually allowed the case to continue. And I think at trial, there would be more evidence from both sides produced where perhaps the jury or the judge could make a more informed decision when, when all the facts are laid out. 
and right now it may be too early. So I understand that the threshold is quite low where, where we say if something is publicly available, whether it's uh, publicly available on a small scale or a large scale, there, there are differences there. And it may not be fair and it will be up to each party to prove his or her case. And I think that Katilan has then put in some submissions to put his case forward. And, and these are the recent uh, submissions that have recently been reported. Indeed, as you mentioned. Um, so in response to Morford's legal challenge, Catalan's lawyers did say that Catalan had no knowledge of or reference to Morford's work and his allegation of copyright infringement fails because he cannot establish that the defendant had access to the work before he created his own work. And they also challenged Morford's after-the-fact copyright registration, saying that Morford's inclusion of duct tape and items appearing in nature, namely oranges and bananas, does not satisfy degree of originality required for the U.S. Copyright Act. Can you unpack for us what this degree of originality concept means and do you find the arguments mounted by the lawyers defensible? For copyright to exist, uh, the expression of an idea must be original and there must be an original work produced. So uh, the judge, I feel in my opinion, is perfectly right to start with the originality point to see if something is original. And I think the argument then becomes like, if these objects are commonplace objects or, or what we call banal objects, objects of your everyday life, and if you just assemble them together somehow, how can that even be an idea? Or how can that even be something that's original? And in this case, with a banana stuck to a wall, the judge is saying that there could be a possibility that this object uh, or this way this object is arranged is original and perhaps we should hear these arguments at trial. But this is not new because there have been artists who worked with banal objects since a long time ago and perhaps the father of this is Marcel Duchamp who exhibited the urinal as, as a found object or, or, rather, or what we also call in the art world a ready-made. So a ready-made is actually an object that has already been made and it's readily available and if we just display these banal objects, they can be considered art. And art historians have also applied various theories to determine whether an object is art or not, or if a banana is art or not. And some of these theories include the institutional theory of art, which is whether an object is accepted by the art world and accepted by institutions and museums as a work of art. And in this case, if the banana has been accepted by the gallery as a work of art to be worthy of inclusion in its, in its exhibit at Art Basel, if the fair Art Basel itself has determined that the banana is a work of art, and if the public seeing the banana has determined that it is a work of art, and the buyers buying the banana have determined that it's a work of art, then surely it must be a work of art. And if one such expert, perhaps an art historian, could go to the court to give evidence that this is a work of art, perhaps this would even help Catalan's case and that, that this is indeed a legitimate work of art. So there are also cases in America where, where judges have to straddle the fine line of whether art, something is art or is not. And sometimes there can be a little bit of overreach and some uh, academics have stated, and, and even judges have stated, that judges shouldn't be in the position to determine whether something is art or not. And in a lot of corporate cases, judges do step into that role to determine whether objects are art or not. But really, that role should be left to expert witnesses who are specialised in art and shouldn't be a decision that is made by judges. 
Right. So given this, where do you think the case is headed from here? Because what we've had is a, a to and fro between the lawyers. And what lessons can be drawn for the rest of the art world? I think this is still early days in the case. And there's, like what you said, there's a lot of to and fro and the, the case is just starting. I think there are a lot of lessons that can be drawn from the case. And artists should should perhaps protect their rights better by actually having more documentation of of their work and to have proper records. And if and if Morfa is just relying on a video, it does seem that he would require a little bit more evidence for for his case. And also I note that the registration of his copyright was a little bit late and may have been after the fact. And I, I think other people have noticed this well. And I have looked up this point about American law. It seems that to sue on copyright in the States, it has to be registered first. This is different from Singapore law, where copyright arises automatically and you don't have to register copyright to sue. So there may be some problem with the dates. And I think some commentators have have stated this as well. So in terms of the artist, perhaps the artist could have better records of, of his work, his or her work or, or keep sketches of his or her work and perhaps register a work in, in jurisdictions that require such registration. And on that note, thank you, Ryan, for coming on our show. Thank you, Grace. It's a pleasure to be here and I hope this clarifies some of the questions about the infamous banana. And that's a wrap for In Your Opinion, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Grace Ho. Don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to read my articles or check out the opinion section of The Straits Times, we have links in our podcast text description below. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.